Hello and welcome to another episode of The Passion Agenda. My name is Anthony Caruana, and today I had the fantastic opportunity of sitting down with Naomi Perry, a clinical pharmacist. Naomi has graduated from Monash University with a Bachelor of Pharmacy with honors. Naomi has experience working as a clinical pharmacist in a hospital setting now for over seven years and has a real passion for health promotion. Given the current circumstances we as a world face at the moment, I thought what better opportunity do I have to speak to Naomi uh, and, and obviously the, the, the knowledge and the education that she's had um, ties in nicely to, to what we're experiencing at the moment and I believe uh, provides some fantastic insight, particularly for people like myself. Uh, selfishly, I, I want to know as much as I can about COVID-19 and coronavirus so I can be best prepared and, and best equipped to deal with it. Uh, Naomi gave some fantastic insight and I know this is a conversation that will appeal to, to many listeners. Sit back, relax, as I know this is a conversation that you will enjoy. Because a lot of people hear that this medic- and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. A, a good example of that is hydroxychloroquine. And the virus that causes the disease is known as SARS-CoV-2. But they need to be reminded that this is only transient. This is not going to last forever. And that there are people out there that can offer support. Uh, Technology can be a funny thing, but uh, we've overcome those obstacles. Naomi, it's fantastic to have you on today. How are you? Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing well, I think. Uh, Still trying to adjust to the new normal, as I'm sure everyone is. Uh, It's a challenge, but uh, one that I think um, myself and I think everyone will definitely overcome. So, uh, yeah. How, How are you managing with all that's happening in the world? Yeah, it's interesting because a month ago, I, when the restrictions first came into play, I remember I was just about to DJ at the Grand Prix. And when that event was cancelled, I knew that my life was about to change. So all my DJ life has pretty much been placed on hold. But my pharmacy life, um, for those who don't know me, I work part-time as a pharmacist and part-time as a corporate events and wedding DJ. And so my pharmacy work has been extremely, extremely busy. So I'm still working at the hospital part-time and on my days off, I've been working on keeping a really good daily routine, which consists of setting goals for the day, maintaining good physical and mental health, keeping socially connected while maintaining physical distance and being productive by having good hobbies or new projects. So my day generally starts with a workout, either a run around my neighborhood or a home routine, usually a high intensity interval training circuit. When I don't feel like a massive workout, I switch that up and alternate my training with a yoga routine. It's so good. There's so many free yoga sessions on YouTube. And the best part is you only need a yoga mat. And if you if you, if you don't have a yoga mat, that's fine. The carpet rug is, is totally fine, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I would definitely second that. Uh, you know, given the circumstances, given the fact that uh, gyms are closed, I think yoga is a fantastic outlet and you know, allows you to, to practice mindfulness and, and really be present which is, which is important and what we need during these times. I think the more of us that can remain calm, the better, um, because we can see what the opposite does. Um, when anarchy ensues, you get uh, large majorities of the population going out and uh, hoarding toilet paper and uh, other you know, groceries and, and things of that nature. So, yeah, I guess the more people that are practicing um, yoga and, and, and being calm and, and present, the better. And you can even just get outside and walk. I mean, people tend to think, oh, it's just so simple of an idea, just go for a walk. But it's so profound, I guess, the effect that that can have on you, keeping your body moving, flowing, uh, the mind, all of those things. So, um, yeah, highly recommend walking. Yeah. 
Absolutely. It's interesting though. So many people have told me that they're feeling more tired now than, than ever working from home. And I, I think that's mainly because we're walking and moving less. Um, and which, which is interesting because some people walk to work, they ride their bike to work. And when you're working from home, you're sitting at a desk all day and you're, you're essentially conversing with people online uh, rather than moving to a meeting spot um, going out for lunch and meeting them and moving around. Um, so I, I definitely think that, as you mentioned, going for a walk, you know, even if it, it's if it's for 30 minutes, some fresh air can definitely have a really profound effect on your muscles and your mental well-being. And that's it, isn't it? I think the, the main message behind that is just to keep moving, uh, keeping that momentum up, whether it's through exercise, your routine, the activities that you do, don't let things fall away. I think that's the most important thing. So I guess to get a little more specific uh, with you, Naomi, um, I guess the premise behind this podcast is to really delve into the individuals that I interview and and learn uh, more about them, what it is that they do and why they do it. Um, so I guess to, to, to start with that, uh, Naomi, who are you? So, I mean, it's interesting. So I, I kind of mentioned that I am a pharmacist and I'm a DJ, so... When, when I finish my workout every day, I spend a lot of time focusing on music. I've, I've been brought up um, being able to perform. And so performing arts um, in a theatrical sense has been a big part of my life. And that has developed over the years. I, I've played the piano um, and I've always been involved in the school musicals. And so for me, performing has been a big part of my life. And that's translated into now DJing and so even though I'm not working as a DJ I'm still spending a lot of time working on my music so um, I'm working on new mixes new Spotify playlists mashups and remixes which is something that I've never really had time to work on until now and so I, I need to make sure that that's still a big part of my life even though I can't work as a DJ I still want to make sure that music and, um, in a sense, performing is still a major part of my life, which it has been. But then there's also that other side to me, that scientific side, um, which I think comes from my mum. She's an optometrist and she she obviously wanted me to become an optometrist because my sister is an optometrist. And I, I turned to her for advice, career advice particularly, and she recommended pharmacy because she knew that I had a real passion for health science particularly and helping people and interacting with people. So a big part of my personality and my life is health promotion and that's being a pharmacist but also in my everyday life. I'm quite fit, active, uh, I go to the gym regularly, I eat really healthy. I love cooking. And so you have these two different aspects of my life and my career, um, but they blend really, really well together. And I come from an Italian heritage as well. Uh, So I have a really amazing family. They're really supportive and I'm very close to them. My sister in particular, she is my best friend. She is an absolute role model. And I'm so lucky to be the auntie or Zia, as they call it in Italian, to my beautiful niece and nephew. Ah, beautiful. That's, they are gorgeous. That's beautiful. So I'm very, very, very family oriented. Yeah. As well. So, so uh, what what part of Italy is your family from? Calabria, down oh, south. Same here. Same here. I was actually I was there last year. Yep. And um, was you're, it a you're, pro- called, you're probably. Uh, what's that? <laughs> I was going to say, you're probably my cousin, let's be honest. Yeah, could you imagine? I mean, look, it's um, it's a beautiful community. It's a beautiful culture. Uh, being there last year was great to just, you know, be in a small town and really see the, the authentic side of Italy. That's something that I haven't uh, really seen before. Um, you know, I was staying at a relative's place that was along the beach and, you know, people would do their, their nightly walks up and down that beach. Uh, you know, we'd be sitting in there having dinner and a neighbor would pop in, just just walk in, walk in, take a seat, you know, felt like they were home and, you know, we'd offer them coffee or, you know, maybe something to eat. 
And it was really beautiful and it really showed how tight they were as a community because a town like that uh, is so small um, and, and naturally everybody knows everybody. So yeah, it, it was beautiful. So you having mentioned that um, you're a pharmacist, interested to know, you know, uh, what education you have uh, around that and obviously what qualifications you needed to obtain to become a pharmacist. So it took five years to become a registered pharmacist, yep. four years studying and one year um, internship. Yes. I've been a registered pharmacist for seven years. I yep. studied my pharmacy degree at Monash University, Parkville campus. Yep. And I have a Bachelor of Pharmacy with honours and a graduate certificate in pharmacy practice. Beautiful. So it's been Beautiful. a it's been a long journey, uh, but I, looking back on it now, it's been pharmacy has been part of my life since for over ten years, eleven years now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what what does what does pharmacy incorporate? What is pharmacy? So I it depends which industry you work in. Okay. There's yes. I mean there's there's three major pillars. Mm-hmm community pharmacies, hospitals, and industry. I've worked in both community pharmacies and hospitals, and I currently work in clinical informatics, which is essentially electronic prescribing. But I've been a clinical pharmacist in a hospital for um, seven years. So you've obviously just gone and spoken to all of that, but um, I guess what I'm trying to understand is like, you know, what does that mean? What does that mean? And especially during these times where we're obviously experiencing COVID-19, I just want to know if the, 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 the environment has changed for you and if you're really feeling, obviously, the ramifications of that. Definitely. So my role as a clinical pharmacist is probably different to what most people think a pharmacist does. So they probably think of somebody with a white coat, somebody putting a sticker on a so box. So what you're saying I'm, is you're I, not a white coat? I'm not a white coat. Uh, at all I work on awards so it's it's unit based so by unit I mean cardiac respiratory oncology emergency department general medicine so I've worked in a lot of different areas and the most recent rotation that I had was oncology and hematology so that was specific to cancer patients essentially as a patient gets admitted to hospital They see lots of different health professionals and a pharmacist is one of them. And we make sure that we confirm all medications a patient was taking prior to hospital and then we monitor them throughout their admission. So we check their blood tests, we go on ward rounds with doctors and we work closely with the nurses to make sure that they administer the medications correctly. And we also advise doctors as to the most appropriate medication to prescribe for that patient. Um, check if there's any drug interactions, make sure that the most appropriate dose and frequency is given. And then when they're being prepared for discharge, we counsel the patient and educate them and make sure that they have a smooth transition back to the community. Beautiful. And I guess, I guess it's changed. Yep. Yep. That is, that has definitely changed. So as soon as the uh, precautions were coming out, uh, with respect to COVID, a lot of thought that essentially the hospital was concerned that we needed to increase our ICU capacity and the beds and ventilators, which we've seen in other countries has been an issue. So um, obviously the government put uh, restrictions and cancelled any elective surgical admissions. So we had capacity to have staff members facilitating by doing jobs that they wouldn't normally do. And so for, for me particularly, I was finishing my oncology rotation and was about to move into clinical informatics. And one of the most important jobs that needed to be facilitated was assisting any patients who were immunocompromised. So particularly lung transplant patients and um, heart transplant patients, and making sure that they had adequate supply of their medications Um, Usually they get a checkup as an outpatient. So they come into the hospital and they get seen by a specialist in that area and they get scripts filled based on that consultation. And so a prescription is written and medications are supplied, but we wanted to make sure that patients were staying at home. And so we would call the patients up, 
make sure that they had their medications. And if they didn't, we would make sure a prescription was written by the doctor and we would mail out. And there's a free mailing service now facilitating um, the mailing of medications to the patients. Well, that's fantastic. And I think, you know, it's good to see that obviously being put in place. With, to touch on that, and you obviously spoke to the medications piece and, and obviously staying at home and, and all of that. Have have people, I guess, without really understanding maybe COVID-19 and, and the fact that there isn't uh, a vaccination for it just yet, have they been calling up trying to determine workarounds for that and, and, and asking for your assistance in that matter or, you know, in, 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 in more, more in fear rather than anything or not? At the moment, there isn't a vaccine, but I mean that the hospital isn't the, the, the hospital isn't in charge of making the vaccine. It would be more research um, and clinical labs that are currently making the vaccine. There are clinical trials that are starting to come about to see if certain medications are beneficial. And so what we've seen is an increase of those medications dispensed in the community because a lot of people hear that this... Rumors and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So a a good example of that is hydroxychloroquine and it's being used overseas. um, Trumpy. Pardon? Trump. Trump Trump uh, has, has been speaking to it. I love Trump's YouTube clips it's just it, i watch me, him every day i nearly watch him every day honestly it's entertainment for me it is oh it is <laughs> and i love that he just says i, I, I i'm not a doctor <laughs> <laughs> great so i'm not sure why you're saying anything to be honest I'm not a doctor, but but <laughs> but yeah. it, it could be good it might not be and he, I, I might start taking it too don't, don't hold it to me but you know worth a try which you know if we did that for like we as in health professionals if we started talking about any medication that could potentially be beneficial before doing the clinical trials um that's so dangerous we don't know the effective dose we don't know the side effects of the medication in that patient cohort um so you're really putting a lot of risk um in in the wider community and these medications are also used for chronic conditions like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis so we need to make sure that these medications are still available and the issue that we're finding in the community is that these medications are slowly becoming less and there's more of a shortage of those medications as doctors are writing prescriptions for the medication which is a little bit unethical in my opinion. So, so what I'm hearing you say is that doctors are trying to utilize these medications. They're, 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 yeah. So what they're, they're trying to utilize these medications that they think may be, uh, you know, of a benefit to people with COVID-19. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? That's right. It, it's because it is a wow. topic of com- conversation. Patients will hear about it. Doctors hear about it. And they start to see potential benefits, but it hasn't actually stood the test of time. And we need medications to actually complete a clinical trial. I think in China, they started a clinical trial, but then they never finished it. And some of the evidence said that it was positive. But if you don't complete a clinical trial, you can't actually uh, complete and publish that clinical trial. So Interesting. I... Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I guess China is a whole nother topic of conversation, but um, I guess we'll just stick to facts at the moment. Um, so, 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 what is this? I mean, we've been flirting with this for a while, but obviously we spoke to it. COVID nineteen. I guess for, for for somebody that doesn't really understand, you know, uh, you know, medicine and illness too well, in layman's terms, you know, what is it? What is COVID nineteen? So. COVID-19 or the coronavirus, as some people are calling it. So coronavirus is um, a virus and viruses and the diseases they cause often have different names. So there's, you know, people calling it coronavirus, people calling it COVID-19. I like to think of coronavirus or COVID-19 as the disease and the virus that causes the disease is known as SARS-CoV-2, which is shortened for 
severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2. For example, HIV is the virus that causes AIDS. So people often know the name of the disease, but they don't know the name of the virus that causes it. So COVID-19 or coronavirus is the disease and the SARS-CoV-2 is the virus that causes it. And it's completely new. It's an infectious disease um, that the outbreak began in Wuhan, China in December 2019. And um, it's a new virus and disease that was unknown before that time. And it's a respiratory illness, essentially. Mm -hmm. And because it's unknown, we don't really have... We, 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 we had uh, we had no to little understanding of it and obviously as time goes by that's what we're doing we're researching about it we're learning the way it behaves we're learning uh, you know how it reacts and, and I guess what, compl- what 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 will help to, 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 to suppress it or to stop it altogether that's kind of in the process where we're at now is that right in terms of testing so in terms of testing we've got a quite a strict testing criteria and it's mainly because we we know that it's coming from overseas. So when you think about it, the people that we need to test for are the people that have returned from overseas travel, which um, is, is good because we've stopped that. Um, but when you think about it, um, in terms of community transmission, which we know is starting to become apparent um it it may not in the future capture everyone so i'll i'm having you know i'm having a look at what the testing criteria at the moment as of the 24th of april which actually has been changing over time so if you have yeah so i mean the main thing that people want to know is that if you if you develop a fever or respiratory symptoms so if you're developing shortness of breath or a dry cough you need you need to meet the following criteria so you need to have returned from overseas in the past 14 days you also need to have been in close contact with someone diagnosed with COVID 19 in the past 14 days Um, you've traveled or on a cruise ship, which we know now that the cruise ships have caused a lot of confirmed cases. Um, if you're in healthcare, so myself, so if I develop any symptoms, um, and they, it's it's really interesting because when I come to work every day in the hospital, they're checking my temperature and they ask the question, how do you feel? Do you have a sore throat? Do you have a do you have any respiratory symptoms? So they need to know that because if we're treating patients who are positive in the community in the hospital, we need to we've been in contact with them and so we are potentially more at risk than the general community. And if you're in if you've lived in an area where there is higher risk of community transmission, and um, so they define that as being if you're in hospital. Um, aged care, residential facilities, detention centres or correctional facilities, boarding schools, rural and remote Aboriginal um, Torres Strait Island communities. So they're the sort of high risk settings. But the Department of Health regularly review these criteria. So I suspect that when the lockdown laws in Australia change, um, which currently it's at level three, when that changes and reduces down to level two, they may change that testing criteria. And given that um, we've, as I mentioned, we've shut the Australian borders, overseas travel is not happening. So not many people are meeting that criteria. And and when the testing criteria is really narrow, that can give a false result. And, And we know that community transmission is occurring. So... I think that when the lockdown laws are less restrictive, we should be including and reassessing our testing criteria so we can fully capture the movement. Yeah, it's a good point you raise. It's a good point you raise. So so I guess to speak to that, what does it look like? What does COVID-19 look like? What are the symptoms to it? You know, how, how, when, when should I start to be maybe a little bit concerned? When should I go get tested? What does that look like? How are you feeling? At the moment? Yeah, you feeling okay? 
I'm feeling okay, yeah. Well, you're putting me on the spot now. I'm getting a bit nervous. I'm, no, I'm that's okay. analyzing my, my inside. No, no, no. I'm, I am feeling okay. I am feeling good. Um, it's, yeah, um, so. it's, it's, it's a little bit scary to sort of mention some of the symptoms only because we're going into winter. Mm. And, all... yeah, and, and to speak to that, to speak to that, there's always a time for me during that transition where I do start to get maybe a little bit of a sore throat and the sniffles a little bit. Hasn't happened yet. Relax, but you know I'm 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 expecting you because that's that's usual for me, you know. But um, but yeah, yeah. Continue on. So as you mentioned, it's a respiratory illness. So that means that it affects um, part of the body that you use to breathe: your nose, throat, lungs, and the symptoms that you may experience are dry cough, a sore throat, fatigue, a temperature, so a fever. And shortness of breath as well. So they're the, they're the symptoms. But obviously, as we know, it could be a different viral infection. It might not be COVID-19. It could be influenza. It could be the common cold. And so it is, yes. it is very difficult to distinguish between some of these symptoms. And so there's lots of really great tables online that describe, you know, it's more common to get a dry cough and shortness of breath with COVID and it's more common to get a runny nose with the common cold. It's more common to get this severe aches and pains with influenza. So there are some differential um, points that people can use to make sure that they're they're not overstressing um, when they do develop some of these potential symptoms. And that's the issue, isn't it? I think... Um obviously with, with, with the whole situation and obviously the lockdowns and, and the seriousness of the matter, but also the media that, that does really light a flame to, to everything and emphasize what's going on, you know, as someone that has a little little cough or something like that, that may be totally unrelated to, to COVID-19 specifically, may feel somewhat concerned. Um, and, and they may have, you know, loved ones that they're living with potentially that are of an age that, uh, you know, their immune system isn't as good as somebody of a younger age, but I'll let you touch, let you touch on that. But, you know, there, there could be cause for concern. I can understand that. Um, so I think it's just about being aware. And I guess this, com- this conversation that we're having is, is definitely about that and, and trying to, I guess, put, put light on the subject, um, so that's important. So, so how does COVID nineteen spread? So how how does how does it how does it transmit? How does it get around? Why have we seen these cases? How does it spread? Well, definitely not by this um, this conversation because we're doing it remotely. So correct, correct. It's um it's a virus that's spread via droplet transmission. So so what does that mean exactly? It it spreads between people from a sick. So from a sick person via droplet transmission. Droplets are small pieces of saliva, which are produced when a person coughs or sneezes. Droplets usually travel no further than a meter through the air. You, become, you can become infected if you have close contact with an infected person who coughs or sneezes. You can also catch the virus if they have coughed or sneezed onto a surface, like a door handle or a telephone, and then you touch it. And you get the droplets on your hands and that's known as contamination. And then you transfer them to your mouth, nose, eyes, when you touch your face or when you eat. It's interesting. So not droplets can't go through the skin and can only lead to infection if they touch your mouth, nose or eyes. So it's, it's quite contagious if you think about it that way, because how often do you touch a face? How often do you touch, you know, a surface? And um, it was, it was really interesting when I was having a bit of research and about surfaces in general and the new England journal of medicine uh, did some, some really great studies and they showed that the virus actually can still be there for many hours on specific surfaces after it's been contaminated. So, um, for example, aerosols up to three hours, copper up to four to eight hours, cardboard. You think about the cardboard boxes. If you're receiving your grocery shopping online and they're, they're sending it to you through cardboard, 
for um, up to 24 hours. Stainless steel, stainless steel. So every time that you press that um, button to walk across the road, that's up to the two to three days. No one's doing that at the moment. I, I've, I've gone for walks. I'm seeing knees. I'm seeing feet. I'm seeing <laughs> elbows. No one's. I've, I've not seen one person use their hand for a month, a good month. And, and what else is interesting is plastic. So up to two to three days that can remain on the surface. So you, you are seeing a lot more people wearing gloves uh, when they go to the supermarket and um, even disinfecting their groceries um, that are in containers, packaged containers, plastic containers when they get home because there, there is evidence that it does remain on, on surfaces. Good point, but uh, the, the one that, the one that that, that uh, plays with me is the gloves aspect of things. So people put on gloves, they go to the grocery store, they may touch something. You know, that, if that's that that something is infected, they've touched it with the glove. Great, that hasn't gotten to their onto their skin yet. But then with the glove, they grab their phone and they open their phone up, and then you know, th- does does that transmit the virus? Does it not? Tell me. You're preaching to the choir here. I don't use face masks or yeah. gloves in public settings only in the hospital setting where it's indicated I, I mean i mean i get a lot of questions about whether wearing face masks is appropriate and a lot of people you'll notice they've been walking around in public wearing them and there actually there isn't any evidence that wearing a face mask will stop you from catching the virus like any virus really um, so if you're well, the recommendation is that you don't you don't need to wear a face mask. If you're sick, however, uh, with symptoms of COVID-19 and you have a face mask, you should wear this when you're going to medical appointments. Obviously, they're recommending that people stay in isolation and they quarantine themselves. Um, and wearing the mask is to protect others from contracting it. When you're, we use that the masks in hospital because. Uh, patients are in close proximity to health professionals when they do examinations. So what I've said could sound um, contradictory, but when you're in that close proximity to someone, that's when a face mask is going to be beneficial because, as I mentioned earlier about the transmission, the droplets will go about a metre. And if you're maintaining the 1.5 metre social distancing, there isn't any need to be wearing a mask. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes it's not possible. So there, there are instances in where you, you, you have to wear it and understand that. So I would only wear a mask if I'm somebody that's got, well, not not even if, if I've got confirmed virus, even if I've got the symptoms, I think it's just a precautionary way of, of making sure that, you know, as a society and especially as Australia, I guess we're doing the right things to, to keep this down as much as we can. Do you agree? We're definitely adhering to the social distancing res- yep. rules and restrictions, which I think yep. is really good. And it's shown by the numbers every single day. Yeah, it's good to see. Absolutely. We're definitely flattening the curve. And that's because we're adhering to social distancing requirements, but also because we understand that viruses can live on surfaces and it's extremely important to maintain good hand hygiene. And the good thing is that both soap and alcohol break the virus particles apart. So we can minimize the spread of the virus by washing our hands with soap um, and water for 20 to 30 seconds when our hands are visibly dirty or contaminated and alcohol solutions, um, hand wipes and rubs containing 60 to 80% alcohol are the most effective when your hands are visibly clean. So I use soap for inside the house when washing my hands and detergent or alcohol solution for cleaning surfaces. I also use alcohol wipes at work at the hospital to wipe down surfaces like keyboards and phones and alcohol rub when entering rooms. And because Australians are using appropriate hand hygiene techniques, as well as adhering to social distancing, we're seeing that and it is reflected in the number of cases and the toll reported each day. Uh, you as obviously, you know, as a, as a pharmacist, what's your take on it? Do you think the government's uh, done enough? Do you think they could have done more? Do you think they've done too much? Well, what do you feel about it? 
That's that's a really interesting question because as a health professional and then from a personal perspective, I've got two different views. And look, at the moment, we're ex- we're experiencing stage three lockdown, which means the government's message is to not leave your home unless absolutely necessary. So necessary means going to work or school. Um, if you can't do it remotely, buying essentials and seeking medical care or exercise. Indoor and outdoor gatherings have been restricted to two people um, as part of further efforts to stop the spread of coronavirus. Stum's state borders are closed except for people with exemptions for essential travel and all travellers in Australia must go into 14 days of self-isolation as designated um, at a designated quarantine facility. As a consequence, many non-essential venues are now closed to the public. Obviously, this means people are now out of work. I personally have experienced this with my own DJ business and have many friends in the entertainment and arts industry currently experiencing financial hardship. In response to that, the government has implemented JobSeekers Payment, which is providing Australians with financial help, as well as those who are now looking for work. It is also difficult difficult from an emotional perspective because we're all experiencing social isolation, loneliness and elements of fear and anxiety and we can't reach out the way that we normally would when experiencing these feelings. Normally we would just catch up for a drink with friends at a local bar, heading out for dinner and even getting together with your family. I personally found it difficult initially coming to terms with A, not having financial income from my business and B, doing what I love, which brings me happiness. But then I realized this pandemic isn't about me and my feelings and my financial hardship. It's about us as a nation protecting ourselves, um, but not only ourselves, our lives collectively. So from a health professional and scientific perspective, in order to flatten the curve, we need to minimize interaction with each other by social distancing. So for this reason, I support the government's decision to introduce lockdown laws. It's interesting that the government were initially keeping schools open because of the perceived low community transmission and because of the importance to continue education. Of course, we don't actually know what the community transmission rates are because we're not testing for community transmission currently. Some evidence is suggesting that children are getting infected at a lower rate, but can only go, we, we can only go with what evidence we do have. And we know that asymptomatic transmission also occurs. So while children may not be getting sick from the virus, if they are going to school and being in contact with other children and teachers, um, they could be potentially um, spreading the virus if they are asymptomatically infected. And recently, the government um, at the commencement of term two have moved schools to remote and flexible learning and care. So all students who can learn from home must learn at home. At the end of the day, our priority is our lives. And when we compare the hardship of homeschooling and remote learning to death, it's clear the government is enforcing these laws to protect the health of Australians. I personally am extremely proud of the restrictions enforced in Australia. And I hope that when the lockdown restrictions are loosened, that we don't loosen our perception of this pandemic and the risk of transmission. It's a very good point you make. And um, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think we as a nation have, 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 have heard the call uh, we, we, we are doing our part and that's definitely reflected in the results that we're getting. Uh, you know, everybody had and has uh, a part to play in this and uh, it's not over yet, not by a long stretch. Um, you know, there's, uh, in terms of the actual behaviours of the virus itself, it's, it's still not determined whether it's a virus that reacts, you know, better or worse in, in, in warmer conditions. Um, and this is very interesting to see. I think, you know, a, a topic that I, I, I guess a point that I wanted to raise with you just because of, I'm, I'm a little bit unsure of it and I think a lot of people are and I just want to get your opinion rather than maybe fact on it is is what what's your thoughts going into to winter? 
because I know that the way I look from it as I guess a, a commoner or just someone that doesn't really have too much of an understanding about you know the, the medical side of things is that you know winter you know generally people get sick you know normally during winter they, they get the cold they get the flu they get the uh the um the what's what's the respiratory condition that people get the um pneumonia they get the pneumonia uh, as well um you know, and, and from the outset the, the real issue behind this virus has always been around the constraints put onto the health system it was about that anticipation of the peak of that curve and at that peak of the curve you know forecasts were coming in saying that the the amount of resources that we have are not going to meet the demands of that 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 summit the the, the, the peak uh, so i guess you know we are seeing the downturn of that curve now we're getting to what they call the, I guess, um, was it, we've plateaued, uh, r- rather, the flattening of the curve as it's it's been put. But I guess coming into to the winter months here in Australia, and it's a little bit different for the rest of the world because you've got America, you've got Europe, which is is, is obviously, um, you know, publicized, uh, you know, to great extents. And they're going into a summer, but we're going into a winter, you know. So how, from, from, from your point of view, does that look for us? Uh, and how does the flu, in particular, play into to this? It, it comes back to the symptoms that people experience when they get the respiratory illness. So, as I mentioned, influenza has symptoms similar to a common cold, similar to other viral illnesses, similar to bacterial, secondary bacterial infections um, that are all from the respiratory tract. Pneumonia is very common in the winter. And when you start seeing people coughing and sneezing, it not only creates this terrible stigma that you should be at home, but if they are at work, um, it's, it's difficult because you need to know whether you're actually experiencing COVID symptoms or whether you're just developing another viral respiratory illness. And so what does that mean? Do, does that mean that we need to test everybody that develops any sore throat that potentially is just the common cold? Um, and it may be that we might need to increase testing or it may mean that we need to make sure that we have these clear guidelines of the onset of symptoms and who we've been in contact with and whether we've been in contact with any confirmed cases. But overall, I suspect that the transmission rates will probably increase because we will be quite often more sick because we're going into winter which means that people will be coughing and sneezing. And so if we loosen the restrictions and start to socialize a bit more, we're going to be in contact with people more frequently that are developing these symptoms, even though that the COVID-19 symptoms are, are not that. Some, some people may be um, asymptomatic with COVID and then develop the common cold. So they could be spreading the virus unknowingly. Mm-hmm. It is. It's difficult. It is difficult, and I think. I so, guess, that's, so that's my prediction. Yeah, it's difficult, and I think we're, we're all working through it, and I think the government's working through it, and medical professionals are working through it, and, and obviously how to best test, uh, how to get the best results, and and, and and how that should be done. So, it's definitely a work in progress, and and obviously unprecedented times. Uh, they call for unprecedented measures. So, you know, yeah, it's um, uh, it, it, I know. I definitely feel that, that that the government is doing all they can, which is important. Um, I guess f- to touch on that, the the the, the aspect obviously of, of illness is, is an important one, but um, the the flip side to that is obviously you know in, in terms of a mental uh, point of view, uh, mental health is an important 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 in everybody's lives, and uh, no doubt you know that's been affected in in one way or another during these times for for majority of individuals. Um, how do you see that? And I guess, what's your take on, on, on the mental health aspect uh, and the tolls of you know, that, that COVID-19 is taking on mental health? 
Yeah, look, I think it's really important that everyone not only maintains a good physical health, but also maintains a good mental health. And everyone knows how to maintain good physical health by exercising daily, eating well, maintaining social distancing and practicing good hand hygiene. But I don't think the Australian government is giving strong advice on ways we can maintain our mental health right now. The science really shows us that there are actions we can take and simple measures to make us feel better, but it does require time and effort. Now more than ever, we need to maintain our emotional well-being by remaining calm, staying positive and trying to be as happy as possible. And this can seem really hard when we are inundated with news updates and, as you mentioned, the daily toll. I don't know about you, but for some reason, I keep checking the health.gov.au website for how the numbers are tracking, how many new cases were announced since yesterday. Sometimes it's a downward spiral effect where one negative thought can lead to a lot of what if negative thoughts and questions which is probably how the toilet paper hoarding came about. We think about these questions. What, what, what if? What if? What if I never work again? What if I never get to wear a beautiful cocktail dress for DJing? What if, what, what if I never get married? It, it's these negative, unproductive thoughts that we need to, to minimize and be mindful of. For me, after I read the news every day, I step away from social media and move on to more productive things like reading new books and listening to podcasts. I'm currently reading The Modern Romance by Aziz Ansari. It's it's so fascinating to understand that the progression of dating from our grandparents' generation to today's society. Wow. <laughs> the, latest yeah. pod- the latest podcast I've been listening to is Dirty John. It's an American... Okay. Tr- true crime story and it's also on netflix so i mean if you have seen that if you have this if you've got the stomach for it yeah i think i've seen it i've seen the the netflix uh yeah show yeah yeah that was an interesting one i loved it but if we if 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 we practice mindfulness and spend our time focusing on the things that we can control and the positive things that come out of covid rather than the negative thoughts and the things we can't control, we'll find our days are more productive, fulfilling, and positive. Unfortunately, with negative thoughts, they they come with anxiety, fear, loneliness, and depression, which det- detrimentally affect our immune system. While we have to keep physically distant, we need to use the technologies we have to keep socially connected, whether it's through video calls, um, through apps like Zoom, house party, FaceTime, and social media apps like Instagram and Facebook, checking in on your friends and family, but also doing the fun things we normally do, like watching, watching a movie, having a glass of wine, but through technology. So I've been socially connected to my cousins all around the world. I've got cousins um, in England, in Italy, um, and different states of Australia. And we have a WhatsApp group and we share daily funny memes about this pandemic. Um, I'm also calling my grandparents every day, which is something that I I, I never seem to have the time to do. I'm I'm watching a new TV series with a friend, but we're doing it via Netflix party. One of my work colleagues is trying to organize trivia via Zoom. Every time and every time I have a phone conversation with someone, I switch it to video call. And I find that that instantly that technique has had such a major impact on my well-being by seeing the facial expressions and even just their faces of the people that I care about. And look, my my look, my last piece of advice is that mm. if you are feeling socially isolated, lonely, depressed or anxious, you need to know that you're not alone. We're we're all in this together. And if you don't feel like you can reach out to a friend or family member, there's Lifeline Australia, there's Kids Helpline, as well as telehealth mental health services available through Medicare. So people often are afraid to seek help. They're often afraid to speak to other people and reach out, but they need to be reminded that this is only transient. This is not going to last forever. And that there are people out there that can offer support. 
And on that note, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think we we are going to get through this. Um, it, you know, it, it's a situation that's, uh, yeah, it, it, I guess I, I want to be a realist and, and, and obviously convey that it's it's not great. It's, it's, it's obviously been a hard time for everybody involved. Um, and I think it's great to see that we've all come together. We have done what has been required uh, through social distancing, um, through lockdown and, and all of that. But I think that the most important message, and I guess the notes in which I want to leave on, is the fact that we will get through this. Life will return to a new normal, but uh, we will be able to go out uh, to bars, to restaurants, uh, and do what we used to do. Um, that point is coming, and, and I guess without any medical experience that I'm sure of. Um, so so on that note, uh, I think, look, it's been fantastic to speak to you, Naomi. Thank you for, for coming on uh, the podcast and, and, and obviously, you know, I guess distributing some facts, um, some educated knowledge. It's, 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 it's been fantastic to hear your, your side, your, your understanding, your opinions on the matter. So um, really appreciate it. Thank you once again for tuning into another episode of The Passion Agenda. Uh, really grateful for the opportunity to, to distribute this content to you. I know this is a conversation that you will have enjoyed, given the times as well. It's always good to hear from uh, educated professionals that are delivering the facts rather than uh, you know clouded opinions. Um, given the times that we're in, living with uh, the abundance of information on social media. Sometimes it's tricky to, to point out and, and pick out rather what is factual and what isn't. Um, I, I hope that this conversation uh, with Naomi today provided assurance, provided calmness, and, and I guess a level head uh, to, to the situation we're in at the moment. The, the main message that I, I guess want to leave you guys with is that we're going to overcome this. We're going to get out of it. Um, it's 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 a tr- it's trying times. And there's no other way to put it. But uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel, uh, and we we are all we, we will get there in in due course. If you enjoyed this conversation and think it would be beneficial to somebody, whether it's a family member or a friend that's maybe a little bit concerned with with the times and, and obviously COVID nineteen and its effects on uh, on, on people. Uh, please share it. That's the intent behind this, to distribute uh, information and good quality information as well. I want to thank Naomi once again for coming on and uh, and providing her time. Um, be sure to share the podcast via socials. Uh, we are at The Passion Agenda on Facebook and Instagram. As always, I appreciate your time. Goodbye.